Hey everybody, Jason here. And Paul. And just wanted to let you know as we're starting off this episode that we recorded this episode at the beginning of May. So you're going to hear some references to that time period and what was going on in the world at that time. Yeah. I mean, we were at under a stay-at-home order. Japan was locked down at the time. So it wasn't a great time for people to be planning trips. So mm. we did not release the episode right away. Right. So just a heads up. Uh, I think that's it. Ready to kick it off, Paul? Let's get into it. All right. Welcome to Sightseeing Japan, the podcast where we explore the land of beautiful, scenic destinations. I'm Paul Bresson. And I'm Jason Neeling. And today we're doing something a little different. We have special guests. We are excited to have on the show with us Simon and Moo, the owners and operators of a Kyushu-based travel agency called Kyushu Journeys. Welcome, you two, and thank you so much for being on the show. Okay, thanks so much for inviting us. Thank you. So first of all, why don't you, do you want to give our listeners some idea of what Kyushu Journeys is? Okay, it's um, an inbound travel agent. As the name suggests, we just run tours in Kyushu, not other parts of Japan. And it's primarily for English-speaking visitors to Kyushu. A lot of our clients are from other countries around Asia, Singapore, Malaysia. We get a lot of people from the States, some from my country, the UK. UK? Who else have we had? Um, Indonesia. Uh, some Australians as well. Yeah. Basically, we're an online company, so anyone who finds us online will often reach out to us. Cool. So can you tell us about what kinds of services you offer? Like, are you just planning trips for people and they go off and do what you've planned? Or do you actually take people out and like act as their tour guides? How does that work? Um, I guess it's our main business at the moment is the first thing you mentioned, where we will plan the trips for our clients. But they will head out on their own. Moo more and more, though, has started acting as a guide, as a Kyushu local. She obviously knows the area very well, especially in areas that she's quite passionate about. So she's done quite a few pottery tours, taking people around the pottery villages, introducing them to the potters, taking them to the kilns. And also Moo guides some of our group tours. We had a, an autumn tour, a fall tour last November, which Moo was guiding. We were due to have a cherry blossom tour this March, but obviously with the virus situation, everything got cancelled. And Moo will be guiding our fall tour later this year and a foodie tour early next year as well. Cool. So, Simon, I just wanted to ask you, I was a little curious, what led you to making your life in Japan and ending up running a travel agency? Uh, it's good, yeah, good question. So actually me and Mu lived for 15 years in Indonesia together. We were both in the travel business there. And each year we used to come back for Mu to see her family and to see her parents. And each year we came to Kyushu, we would always take a little trip together. Usually we'd take Mu's mum just for a few days. And every time 
we went somewhere, we said, this is great. You know, this is so great. We've got to make a travel agent here. And finally we did. We relocated back to Japan about three years ago and started Kyushu Journeys then. And our love for Kyushu made us just want to focus on Kyushu and not the other islands in Japan. Wow. So you said you were living in Indonesia, right? What brought you both there? Um, I, with a couple of buddies, was running a scuba diving center. Oh, wow. Moo was working at different hotels. Yeah, in in some hotels and Japanese-owned travel agent or leisure companies. Very cool. So I know a lot of people, especially on their first trip to Japan, tend to stick to Osaka, Kyoto, and Tokyo as the main big three cities. Is there a certain type of traveler that you see traveling to Kyushu more? It's exactly exactly as you said, actually. Um, I would say 100% of our clients, just about, I think, mm-hmm. have been to Japan before. The first trip, everyone goes, of course, to Tokyo. Everyone goes to Kyoto. A lot of people go to Osaka. And then they, they get this out of their system. And then the mm-hmm. next time they come, they're looking to find the more traditional Japan there, Japan away from the mega cities, Japan as they imagine it, Japan as it used to be. And that's the kind of clients we get coming to Kyushu, the people who've done the big cities and are now looking for something a little bit different. That's funny because that totally describes me. That's my first two trips to Japan was sticking to Honshu and mostly Kyoto and Tokyo. But next time I go back, I'm definitely planning to maybe hit uh, Sapporo or Kyushu and enjoy a little bit more of the nature and the smaller cities. Yeah, it took me until my fourth trip to make it down to Kyushu, but I wish I had gotten there earlier. There's so much cool stuff there. I think a lot of our clients find there's a, a side to Japan that unfortunately is maybe long lost in places like Osaka and Tokyo. They have their advantages, of course. They're, you know, amazing, amazing world cities. But there's a side of Japan that maybe you can't see there anymore. Whereas Kyushu, as as you probably found, still things the way they used to be. Absolutely. Yeah, I love that kind of stuff. On my last trip, I spent some time in Shinjuku at the end of my trip. And it was just crazy, like, how big everything feels and it's you see tourists everywhere you go you know it's nice to kind of get out to the smaller places and yeah just see something that not everybody gets to see so what would you say sets Kyushu apart from those cities specifically Osaka Tokyo and Kyoto what what do they have that those big cities don't have besides the uh, different kind of feel yeah I guess generally that we have a slower pace here I'm much less crowded I mean, one of the things I really, really love here, I mean, me and Mu obviously spend a lot of time traveling around Kyushu. We go to temples, we go to festivals. Very, very often, I'm the only basically non-Japanese looking person there. You know, we can go to a really amazing festival that is so traditional and so photogenic and so fascinating. And I can be the only person who, who appears not to be Japanese there. You know, and if you obviously if you've been to Kyoto, you've been to Tokyo, it isn't like that. So I guess one of the main things is is really seeing Japan as it is, getting away from the crowds. Our clients really love the nature here. The scenery in Kyushu is really breathtaking. 
and that includes the volcanic scenery. Kyushu is very famous for having a couple of very active volcanoes, so the, the volcanic scenery is, is fascinating. Kyushu, as, as you know, because I listened to your onsen episode, <laughs> is known as Onsen Island because it goes with having so many volcanoes here. We have so many mm. natural hot springs and a lot of our clients really love to do a, a tour. So if they come for a week, they will often stay in four or five different onsen hot spring resorts. Oh, wow. And the food here is very famous. Even the Japanese come to Kyushu for food. <laughs> hmm. What would you say are the main foods that somebody definitely should not miss if they go to Kyushu? A lot, but not about the meals, but the ingredient itself is really fresh and nice. So any lands of Kyushu is famous for its great meat, beef, chicken, and pork. Lots of different districts have got famous branded meat like Saga beef, maybe you've heard of, or Takachiho beef yeah. in Miyazaki Prefecture, and some famous chicken in Kumamoto, and black pork in Kagoshima a lot. And of course, Kyushu is a one big island, so great seafood and freshly made sushi and stuff, and some fruits as well. It's now just finishing, but now it's a strawberry season. So we do a lot of fruit picking, like strawberry picking and grape picking. Pear, persimmon. Pear, persimmon, yeah. Well, ramen, cool. yeah, and ramen. <laughs> Simon just told me. <laughs> ramen, yeah. So Kyushu is the home to uh, tonkotsu ramen, you know. It's a pork My broth. My favorite kind. Oh, yeah. <laughs> So it's said it's born in Fukuoka, but not just Fukuoka. If you go to Kumamoto, Kumamoto has its own tonkotsu ramen as well, and Kagoshima. They, they, they all claim to be the best. Huh? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> they all have their own different style, huh? I definitely need to go back to Kyushu and try all of those, because that was one of the big things I did in Fukuoka, was try a lot of different places of, that made tonkotsu ramen. Sure. What, what we often do with our client itinerary, that generally they'll be on a, if possible, a circular route. Um, they will start off in Fukuoka and they might pass through Kurume, which is the city which is supposed to be the real home, the real place that ramen started on Kyushu. So they'll go to Fukuoka oh. and then Kurume and then, as Mu mentioned, Kumamoto. So we'll, on each place, if they're ramen fans, we'll suggest a ramen restaurant in each of the three places and then say, okay, which is your favorite? Are you a Fukuoka ramen guy? Are you a Kurume ramen guy? Are you a Kagoshima? <laughs> Kumamoto. Kumamoto ramen mm. guy. Um, and they, uh, yeah, people enjoy it. I mean, I'm not sure if you went in Fukuoka. Um, it's actually, it's in the same building as the train station if you arrive by train from another part of Japan, you will come into Hakata Station. In that mm -hmm. building on the second floor, they have Ramen Street, which is a whole floor of ramen shops. I'm not sure how many they have. It's, I guess it's about a dozen different shops, each of them selling a slightly different kind of ramen. 
So yeah, as you said, if you come to Kyushu, you're really in ramen heaven. If you love your noodles, then you can have a different style every day. Yeah, I can't believe I missed that. That sounds amazing. <laughs> I love that. So you you mentioned strawberry picking. Are there a lot of places around Kyushu where tourists can go and pick fresh produce? Yeah, quite a lot. Especially Fukuoka and Kumamoto Prefecture. The strawberry season starts here around mid-December until probably right now. So maybe half of the year when you come to Kyushu, you can do strawberry picking. A lot of farmers has got the greenhouses. <laughs> so you can go to the greenhouse and pick the strawberry as much as you want. Typically, like kind of 60 minutes or 90 minutes, you can eat as much as you want for like $20 or so. But also you can just do the picking and take home as well. Wow, that sounds awesome. Yeah. So I got to ask because I'm one of those weird people that's a vegan and I don't eat meat or animal products. So if I was going to stay at a ryokan or an onsen resort, could I request vegetarian meals there? Yeah, it's, it's a good question. I've, I've not eaten meat myself for 35 years, but I, I eat fish. <laughs> and one of the reasons is for 25 years, I, I wasn't a vegan, but I, I didn't eat any meat or any fish. And it got quite challenging um, it, it, it honestly depends how strict you are, okay? A lot of Japanese things will have a hint of seafood. For example, if you have udon noodles, there's no meat in it. So if you can close your eyes to the fact that there's, <laughs> there's fish stock in the broth, you're fine. If you're more strict, honestly speaking, it's, it's quite difficult. At, probably at, at a ryokan, is the place you're most, you're most likely to be able to eat something because we would be able to order in advance and arrange it. It would mean a lot of discussion with the, the staff. It's not really a, a kind of concept they have here. So in a ryokan, to answer your question, you, you may be okay, but just going around the streets in the daytime trying to find food on the hoof would be a, a bit of a challenge, honestly, I have to say. But there is one great ryokan in Kurokawa Onsen, which serves vegan kaiseki. So you can go there. Oh, ah, nice. That sounds good. Yeah, when we were in Japan last time, Jason was helping me out a lot, telling me like, this is how you ask for no eggs, or this is how you ask if it's got fish in it. But we, we made it work. Jason was really helpful. I did my best. <laughs> as Moo said before, there's, there's lots of great veggies here. I mean, as you travel around Kyushu, you, you see so they have so many small scale um, market farms. They don't have the huge scale farming here. You know, most of the farms are owned by a family and the family grow and pick it. So there's some great veggies here. Moo already mentioned the, the fruit and the, the salad here. We, even for our household shopping, we will go to a, a kind of farmer's market every week where local farmers or even local people just grow stuff in their garden and bring it along. And it's great veggies here, really great veggies, great salad, great 
fruit as long as you have someone you're traveling with who can <laughs> help you yeah ask no egg yeah no meat <laughs> no fish the the good thing is i say it's not honestly veganism even vegetarianism is not a big concept here but the people here are so they want to go out their way to help you so once they get your point that they will really bend over backwards to try and help you out even if it's something that they aren't used to doing that's great um so we let's see in our kyushu episode we talked about how kyushu is the name of an island one of the main islands of japan and it's also the name of a region including a lot of other smaller islands can you tell us about like any other smaller islands that you work with in addition to the main island of kyushu one of the islands that we quite often include on our clients' itinerary is called Yakushima, which is right at the southern tip of Kyushu. Some of our clients will fly from Kyushu. Some will take the ferry. Some will take the car ferry. And this island is very, very famous for its absolutely gorgeous, gorgeous scenery and its, its forests. It's actually famous as well for its rain. <laughs> <laughs> it, it rains a lot there, which is why it's so green. Mm. And it's a it's a really, really wonderful place for trekking and hiking, whether you want to just trek as a family for a few hours or whether you want to do a multi-day trek, taking your tent with you. It's a great place for this. And one of the very famous treks there is to see um, a tree which is believed to be 5,000 years old. Wow. 5,000? I mean, the, the estimates range between about 3,000 and 7,000. So we tell our clients it's about 5,000. It's, it's certainly one of the oldest trees in the world. And the great thing is you can hike there. You can go right up to it and, and you can see it. It's a good full day hike to get there. But, you know, it's something really worth ticking off your list. It has this very magical field all around Yakushima. It's full of nature. There's turtles and there's deer and just really gorgeous, gorgeous scenery. As we were saying before, that in lots of parts of Japan, you don't find any more. It's really tropical, tropical rainforest. Because we're obviously in Kyushu, we're right down south here. Mm -hmm. So I actually wanted to ask about the weather because I can read about it, but I want to know, like, if you visit Kyushu in the winter time, what's the weather like? Does it get very cold there? The winter is is not so bad here because, again, we're we're down south. And obviously, it depends, I guess, what you're used to in your own country. For me, as a Brit, actually, the the winters here are quite mild, <laughs> so it would seldom it would not really go below freezing in the daytime, and we would get snow once every few years a little bit so we, we have a lot of clients coming around christmas new year is is quite popular the time to avoid in japan actually is not the winter it's the summer um, <laughs> i'm not sure if you guys have been in the summer it's it's just too hot and it's just too humid we basically if our clients want to come in summer the first thing we'll say before we take a penny off them is are you sure? <laughs> it's really hot and it's really humid. Actually, it's interesting to note this is when they're planning to hold the Olympics. It's right, it's right in the middle of summer. Yeah. They, they were meant to hold it this year in July and 
instead because of the virus. It's going to be 2021, but the, it's in July, and it's for me, it's it's just too hot. We heard there was some controversy about the marathon because of how hot it was going to be. It got moved to Sapporo, I believe. Yeah, there were a couple events that were moved to Sapporo, I think, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's it's too hot to walk down the street, <laughs> no, no, never mind to, <laughs> to, to, to run a marathon. So summer, I would, I mean, we get the occasional client here, especially people from Asia, maybe a bit more used to it, who say, yeah, I know it's going to be hot, but this is the only time I can get the leave. So, you know, that that's fine. So avoid summer. As anywhere in Asia, it's maybe best to avoid the rainy season, which is just coming up to summer, which is normally starting in June. Mm -hmm. So basically from June to July, August is, is not a great time to be here. Conversely, where now is May, which is really one of the best months for weather. Today it's mm -hmm. around... I don't know Fahrenheit, sorry guys, it's, <laughs> it's about 26 degrees C here, which is, you know, really nice. Spring is nice, autumn is gorgeous, winter is not freezing, so yeah, basically any time okay, except avoid the rainy season, avoid summer, and as with anywhere in Japan, um, we always tell our clients, avoid golden week. So you guys have been to Japan a few times. You, you will know what this is. This is the, the period traditionally when all the Japanese take their vacation and travel around Japan. And actually, it's, it's the start of May, normally the end of April. Into a, so it lasts roughly a week. And just everything is so crowded. The trains are full. The roads are full. All the activity destinations are full. The hotels are full. So again, if possible, we tell our clients, come just before Golden Week, the weather's nice. Just after Golden Week, the weather's nice. But if possible, try to avoid Golden Week. The very popular time with our clients for the, for the natural beauty of Japan is, of course, who doesn't think of Japan and cherry blossom? You know, this is yeah. rightly popular. It's, it's gorgeous here. You know, it's probably our busiest time of year. We have our group tour, but we also have lots of clients coming. This is in Kyushu. This is the last week of March into the first week of April. And also the, the fall leaves, as you would call them, the colors of the autumn leaves are also absolutely gorgeous, gorgeous, gorgeous in Kyushu. So we, again, we will have a, a group tour around the, the end of November for autumn leaves. And a lot of our clients will come and travel around at that time. It's a very beautiful time of the year. And spring generally, there's lots of spring flowers and it's a really beautiful time to be here, whether it's spring or whether it's autumn. Yeah, fall has always been my favorite time of year to uh, take a trip to Japan. Those fall colors are amazing. And when I was in Fukuoka in November, it was just incredible, all the colors. I suppose Yakushima, you said, was like a tropical rainforest. They probably don't really have fall colors there, huh? It's probably green all the time. I was curious about Yakushima, too. Is, is that one of those places that's kind of sparsely populated around the coast and then the middle of the island is much more just nature? Or is there actually a decent population on that island? Um, 
off the top of my head, I don't know the population, but it's not heavily populated at all. I mean, it's it's right on the edge of where people are living. You know, it doesn't have big cities in Yakushima. It's a very tourist orientated place. So it's again, it's another place to go to escape the crowds. The only crowds you're likely to see are on the very, very popular hiking or walking routes. Cool. So another island we talked about in our Kyushu episode a little bit is uh, Gunkanjima, also known as Battleship Island. That place looked super cool to me. What can you tell us about that? Yeah, this is another place very popular with our clients. As you said, it's called Battleship Island because it looks, it really does look like a, a battleship sailing through the ocean. It's an old <laughs> coal mining island, so they, they have a lot of the buildings that was there from the coal mining, and now it's it's a completely abandoned island. Nobody lives there. And it's just it just looks so, so cool. So the, it's, it's near Nagasaki, so a lot of people take a, a boat over from Nagasaki. Either just you take a boat around the island because it's so gorgeously, gorgeously photogenic. It, it's like you're, you're circling around uh, a battleship in the ocean. And if the sea condition is good, if it's not typhoon season especially, you can actually land on the island. You, you can only walk on an escorted tour because a lot of the buildings are very old and there's a you know danger of them crumbling or collapsing. But it's, it's very popular with our clients. It's very it's a very Instagram friendly island. <laughs> <laughs> I bet. So if one of our listeners wanted to head to Kyushu, and let's say maybe they had uh, limited time, is there a place that you would say they definitely should not miss? Like, what would be the absolute highlights of Kyushu? You strongly recommend Aso, Aso area in Kumamoto. It has got the biggest caldera, one of the biggest calderas in the world, and still a living volcano. And when the volcanic activity is mild, you can go near almost about less than one kilometer from the crater. crater. <laughs> wow, that sounds so cool. There are no volcanoes around here. So hearing somebody say like, oh, when the volcano's not active, you can go up to it. I'm like, wow. Yeah. That's, that's cool. It does sound cool. What, can you tell us like, what is that experience even like? Can you actually see smoke rising yeah, up? Yeah, smoke, oh, you, smoke you is coming there. up from the crater. And if you're standing there for only about five minutes, you get ash wow. on your shoulders <laughs> and head. Wow. It's meant to be one of the only volcanoes in the world. Literally, literally, you can stand on the crater rim and look down into the, into the lava. Actually, my parents came, and at that time, it, it was open. So we stood there, and we you looking down into a bubbling, boiling volcano, which is so cool. And oddly, it's green. You would imagine green? you're looking into this red, <laughs> red egg for some reason. Yeah. <laughs> Weird. For some reason, it's green. But for the almost last... Almost a year, yeah, more than oh, a year now. Yeah, almost a year. It's been too active. So they've, you can't go right to the crater rim. And I remember actually when you go to the crater rim, they have little concrete sheltering buildings. So 
if the worst comes to the worst and it starts erupting, you're meant to run into these buildings and um, hope <laughs> wow. for the best. But obviously in Japan, they, they're very good at, so cool. you know, they have a lot of scientific knowledge and a lot of sensors. So, you know, they, they don't have unexpected eruptions really. Um, but even now our, our clients visit and even though you can't get right up to the crater, you can get close enough. You can smell the sulfur and you're getting ash and you mm. can see the big clouds. And it's, a, you know, it's a real, as you said, for most people who don't have active volcanoes on their doorstep, it's, you know, it's a real interesting experience. And actually one of the, if you go to the very tip of Kyushu, they have another active volcano, Sakurajima. And some days there you need to take your umbrella because, because the ash, the light ash is lightly falling, so you need the umbrella. So you, you, <laughs> instead of the rain, wow. to, to protect you from the ash. So all this is is kind of good fun. Who, who doesn't want to get rained on with ash once in their lifetime? <laughs> that all sounds awesome. Do you have to wear a mask to keep from inhaling ash? Um, no, no. I mean, it's it's a big city there. You know, it, it erupts now and again, and they have to evacuate, especially the smaller villages on the side of the volcano. But people go around their daily life. You know, it's it's Kagoshima is, is a big city there. So, you know, you, you don't wear a mask. Uh -huh. It's just you can often see a light dusting of, of ash on the cars and stuff like this when it's in a very active mode, which and they're both quite active at the moment. Aso volcano and Sakurajima volcano are, are both in an active phase at the moment. It all goes together with the volcanoes, with the earthquakes, obviously Japan is famous for, with the onsen. It's all related to this very bubbling landscape. You know, the, the big eruptions were, you know, maybe 90,000 years ago, but we're still living in that landscape today. I mean, Takechiho Gorge, which you may have heard about, is one of the very famous gorgeously gorgeously beautiful gorges that there's a river gorge with such steep sides this was also caused by the volcanic eruption long ago so the whole landscape here is this is why we have the onsen and it's, it feels bubbling and alive one of our favorite places we go to somewhere called unzen where they have what they call the hells and this is the steam rising from the ground as you're walking around all to your left and right. There's this sulfurish steam all around. It's all very devilish and all you get some great photos. And in your Kyushu episode, you also, I remember, mentioned Beppu, which has yeah. these wonderfully entertaining blue hells and red hells, these steaming volcanic pools. So the... You know, the whole island is has this kind of half alive feel to it. That sounds amazing. Yeah, that sounds really cool. So I know there's a Shinkansen that goes to Kyushu, but once you're in Kyushu, how do most of your clients travel around the island? The most popular way of traveling Kyushu in our company is to hire a car and then self do the self-driving. So that is the best way to access, you know, Aso Volcano and Unzen or some other places we just mentioned. Because the public transport is okay, but not 
into every small cities and towns. So driving yourself will be the best way to travel around Kyushu and know deep about Kyushu. Do you ever have uh, people from America or other places where they drive on the right side of the road that uh, have some some issues adjusting to that? <laughs> yeah, we do. Um, we, we've had quite a few American clients who, who do self-drive. Yeah, it's obviously something you need to adjust to. But what our clients tell us is, is once you start doing it and you see... You know, everyone else is driving on the on the left side of the road. You're you're unlikely to suddenly veer into the opposite line of everyone else. So we we've we've had quite a few American clients do that. The great thing about Kyushu is the the road network is wonderful. It's very good condition roads. There's not a lot of traffic. Very rarely see a traffic jam here. So it, it's a very very nice place to drive around. It's actually quite popular as well for uh, people with big bikes come here from all over Japan. You often when we go to the rural area, we see groups of bikers. Don't worry, in Japan, they're very well behaved. You know, they, they, they don't have this <laughs> reckless <laughs> reputation that they do in other countries. And it's a, it's a great, you know, they love coming here and driving around because it really is wide open roads that take you right into the countryside. And all along the roads, there's always little restaurants and cafes you can stop that, you know, sell the local fare, the local produce, and it's a nice place to do a road trip. And we would recommend normally a road trip for our client, and the client who don't want to do a road trip would probably join one of our group tours where we have a tour bus, so we do the, mm. the, the driving for them. We do have clients come by, want to travel by train, and we can arrange that, but as Moo said, the rail network can't get you into the really deep countryside areas. You can visit all the main cities, but to get to the countryside areas, you would want to drive a car. Sometimes for our clients who travel by train, we will arrange a car and driver just for one or two days during their trip to get them from the main cities into the, especially around Aso area mm. or to Takachiho, this gorgeous river gorge area, which is very popular. So you, you can combine it, you know, we, we will always chat with our clients first and, and see what suits them best. And then once we do that, we will plan an itinerary based on, on how they want to travel. Nice. So you talked a bit about how you mostly get people that have been to Japan before. Um, within that group of people, is there a certain demographic that you see going on your tours more often? Or you're seeing more younger people, more older people? For our company ourselves, um, our clients are, we don't generally get youngsters. We don't generally get backpackers. Backpackers will normally DIY their trip. You know, most backpackers are younger, most younger people, you know, every penny, every yen will count. So they will normally do the trip on their own. So our clients are normally from their 40s upwards. And we get a lot of seniors. We get a lot of people in their 60s and 70s, occasionally in their 80s, who like the kind of thing that Kyushu has. You know, they, they've done all this headbanging, big city things that our clientele is the, the kind of age group who want to take things a bit slower, who enjoy good food, who enjoy good scenery, who enjoy more cultural things, rather than the young backpackers who maybe prefer the, the cities and the, the wilder maybe you could say more exciting parts of Japan, more modern parts of Japan. Here's people who are like a little bit slower pace, I guess. 
Cool. So can you give us an idea of what what one of these itineraries might look like? If somebody did want to go there and rent a car and drive around, like how long are these itineraries that people are usually uh, following and what kind of route would they take? What kind of things would they see? Yeah, I mean, it varies, but I would say 90% of our clients come for around a week. Um, hmm. Some of our clients who are coming from further away, like the States, for example, may come for a couple of weeks, spend one week in a different part of Japan, and then going to Kyushu for one week. Our clients who are coming from more nearby countries in Asia will generally just fly in to Kyushu, travel around for a week and fly out again. Everyone, almost everyone will arrive into Fukuoka, which is the main city here. They will, they, they will fly into the international airport. But increasingly, we're getting people flying into the more regional airports. You know, even Kumamoto, Kagoshima have international flights these days. But most clients fly into Fukuoka and they don't want to, they don't really want to spend time in Fukuoka. They don't come here for the cities. So hmm. we will normally plan an itinerary where they fly into the airport and leave Fukuoka the same day. We will always plan a circular route and generally we will focus on our, <laughs> our favorite prefectures, which are Oita and Kumamoto because they have this beautiful scenery. They're, very traditional. They have this great food. And also, we will have to include Nagasaki as well, either the city or the vicinity. So normally, our clients, we again, we ask them how they want to travel. Some people want to see as much as possible. So we will arrange their changing accommodation every night. Some people prefer a bit slower pace of travel and will spend a couple of nights each place. So generally, for a one-week trip, People will stay either six, five, four hotels like this. You need to keep moving a bit if you really want to get the most out of your Kyushu trip. You know, staying each hotel one night or, or maybe two nights, depending where it is, is, uh, is probably ideal. So you mentioned pottery earlier as a kind of a personal passion. I know different parts of Japan have their own different styles of pottery, um, you know, tokoname, mino. Is there a specific style of pottery that Kyushu is known for? Maybe two major style differences. And one is like Arita, which is probably the mo most famous one in Japan. This is quite lots of people outside of Japan are collectors of old Imari. But Imari is a kind of Arita. It's that kind of white porcelain and blue and red paintings. It's born actually in Narita. And then it's oh. exported from Imari port. So that's why non-Japanese people know better as Imari than Narita. So that kind of very beautiful painted white ceramic is the one style and another one is karatsu which has got more rustic taste you can really see the actual color of the clay mm. like brown and gray really subtle or quiet taste cool that is loved by a lot uh, by um, tea masters 
So if you're invited in a tea ceremony or something like that, you will see a lot of Karats wares. And of course, they are really expensive. But because Kyushu is famous for all those ceramics, of course, you can get really bargain. And one place in Nagasaki called Hasami is the home to ceramics, which is less expensive, kind of daily use potteries as well. So you can choose any style at any price range. And before Simon said, uh, you have to avoid golden weeks. But in one sense, I think it's a good time because in golden weeks, lots of the pottery producing towns has got a fair, pottery fair. So you can go and get a great bargain in Arita or Karatsu as well. They do have a pottery fair during that time. So if you're really into pottery, it's a nice time to come the Golden Week. Cool. I think you should be aware, though, if you want to go to the Arita Pottery Fair, it's better you love crowds because a million people attend it. Wow. It lasts. So book your hotel in advance. And there's hardly any hotels in Arita either. Huh? Um, <laughs> it runs for about, is it five days or about a week? It's only about three days. Three days, and it's attended by a million people. So, you know. Wow. That's amazing. <laughs> I guess one of the great things about Kyushu pottery is there's so many smaller villages. Moo mentioned that Arita is a very famous blue and white ceramic that many people think is a classic Japanese pottery. But there's so many small villages around. Luckily, quite a few near our house, so we can drive for 40 minutes and visit these gorgeous pottery villages. And some of them are very, very small. They still make the pottery in a very traditional way. They're, they're handmade. And each village will have its slightly different style. So if you ever came to our house, you would see a big jumble of Actually, looking on my desk now as I'm speaking, I've got one cup, which is what kind of style is this? Uh, takatoriyaki. Takatoriyaki. And then this one? This one is for Kumamoto. And this one is? Agano. And this one is? Arita. Arita. So you're sitting on my desk as, as we're <laughs> chatting. And, and they are all, and all of them will have, um, if, you, if you don't come to the spring fair in Golden Week, they will also have fairs in autumn as well. And in these fairs, they open up the kilns and the workshops so you can go inside and you can, you can get a good bargain as well. And actually, last time me and Moo went, it was luckily coincided with my birthday. So she bought me a very, very nice coffee cup. And it was mm. made by hand by a 15th generation potter. Wow. That's awesome. And I, I said, can I meet this guy? And so he came out yeah. and I, we had a chat with him and I've got this lovely photo of this old gentleman. And if you think about it, 15th generation, that's four, 400 years. And if you think what's yeah, happened wow. in, if you think what's happened in Japan over 400 years there, I mean, for hundreds of years, it was a civil war and, you know, all the external wars, all the floods and the typhoons. And, and these people carried on making their pots and their cups and their plates. 
and their children didn't say, you know, I, I, I don't want to be a potter. I want to be a rock star or I want to be a... <laughs> and actually this guy we met, I think he was 15th generation. We also met his son and his grandson. So some of these places now are 17th generation. And he still makes it by hand. And, you know, it's such a... In this modern world of, you know, everyone's Twittering and Instaring and everything's made of plastic and mass produced. You know, I every day I have my coffee from this gorgeous handmade coffee cup made by a 15th generation potter. It costs me 20 or 30 bucks. That's incredible. Yeah, I love that stuff. I think we've talked a little bit before on the podcast about how a lot of places are really holding on to these skills that have been passed down for generations. And I mean, it's just awesome that they're holding on to that heritage because you don't see that around very much in the U.S. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know anything about my family past like four generations ago. 15 generations ago, I couldn't tell you anything anyone in my family was doing. Yeah. So you talked about those two fairs. If people went to these pottery towns in other times of the year, are there still things that they could see there? Do they get to see any part of like the process of making the pottery or anything like that? Um, in, in certain places, you can. We would often, for our clients, we would have to arrange specifically in advance for a client to come at a specific day and time and see the potter. Some people have it in their mind that you can kind of stumble in and see a rustic old potter making his pot and maybe you can but if you think about it this is his workplace and you know in your yeah. country you couldn't just wander into someone <laughs> an engineer's workshop or factory and start having a look and taking photos so i mean <laughs> yeah. moo is very this is one of her big passions so she has built up quite a kind of personal relationship with some of the potters in the nearby villages so you know when she goes she can often go in and we can go around the back and we can see the kilns but so you can go you can wander around whether you will see someone working that day depends on your look i mean potters also spend their time doing marketing they spend their time packing pots into boxes and they've got various things to do but it if you can see a potter at work, it's and painting as well. You can see them. A lot of stuff in Kyushu is still hand painted, and the intricate style they do, the skill, the patience is is really awe inspiring. Sounds amazing. So, are there any tours or anything you're working on that you haven't offered before that you're hoping to do in the future? Ooh, yes. So Moo is right at the moment planning a food tour. This is another of her big passions. She's a huge foodie and Kyushu is so famous for food. So it'll be not just eating good food, but also having intimate experiences with. So, for example, we would go and not just drink tea, but we would have a talk by a tea master about the different kinds of tea and go to different small scale food producers um, so food tour is one thing. Pottery tour, we've always have in our mind. We've just not, <laughs> never had time to do it. We'll be doing a pottery tour. We're planning a, a family tour with kids activities. So, you know, obviously we're recording this at the time of the virus, unfortunately. And clearly no one is traveling now. So it's at least giving us some time 
to start focusing, start preparing for the future and instead of just chasing our tails, <laughs> actually do some proper planning and we've got lots of tours in the pipeline. Cool. That's great. I'm uh, really looking forward to getting to Japan again. I hope we can all start traveling soon. And Kyushu is, I think now at the very top of my list of where I want to go next. So I'll be looking forward to it. Yeah, I mean, I enjoyed Kyushu a lot my first time there just recently. But, you know, talking to you, I realized just how much I missed. <laughs> I really need to go back and see all that other stuff and check out that volcano. That sounds amazing. Yeah. I, I guess another good thing about, I mean, all over Japan, there's wonderful things. But the, the good thing about Kyushu, it's not a very big island. So in, in a one-week trip, traveling around, you can see so many different things. You can visit these ancient festivals. You can visit the pottery villages. You can stay in gorgeous, gorgeous onsen resorts with amazing ryokan. You can see castles. And you can do it all in a week without rushing around too much. Yeah. Actually, I was going to ask you a question if I could. Oh, absolutely. So as guys who are familiar with Japan, but as with most people, I guess you're most familiar with the Tokyo, Osaka, Kyoto. Before you did research about Kyushu, is it a place that was on your radar? I mean, do, do people know about Kyushu? Have they heard of it? I mean, you guys are from the States. What Would people in the States have even heard of Kyushu, do you think? That's a good question. I would say the average American has probably not heard of Kyushu. Me, personally, I think the very first time I heard about Kyushu was in the uh, movie Lost in Translation. They mentioned Fukuoka, and uh, I don't know, for some reason that stuck in my head. But yeah, I think most Americans that have heard of Kyushu are probably already really interested in Japan. People might know that it's one of the main islands of Japan. Uh, what about you, Paul? What do you think? Yeah, I knew Kyushu because it's one of the main islands. And I knew Fukuoka because there's a baseball team there. And I'm a huge <laughs> baseball fan. But beyond that, before we started doing research for the podcast, I really couldn't have told you any more than that about it. But I'm glad that I did the research and I'm glad that I learned so much because it seems like such a cool place. Yeah, it definitely does. Yeah, the, the tourist board here, I suppose, if, if the main thing they promote about Kyushu is, in fact, they nicknamed it Onsen Island because there are so <laughs> many wonderful onsen here and with the onsen, so many ryokan. So, you know, this is maybe one of the main reasons that people might come is for these onsen resorts and these outdoor baths in sitting up to your neck in toasty, warm, mineral-rich water, getting your old bones massaged and your all your ailments melting away and your the trees are around and the birds are tweeting there's there's few better places than this especially in winter you asked about winter sitting in a toasty hot bath in the outdoors up to your neck in in warm water is oh that sounds so nice <laughs> yeah sure <laughs> yeah definitely i guess we we onsen ourselves at least once a month i'm happy to say yeah, I would think that would be a big draw for Americans, too. We don't have anything like that around here. If I can share one tip for your listeners, actually, because actually we traveled around with a friend of ours, 
and we went to Beppu, and they have a lot of foot baths there. So instead of onsening your whole body, you just stick your foot in. And he said, wow, my arthritic toe has come to life. After 16 years, he had a toe that, that didn't move wow. and suddenly burst into life. But actually, the tip is you can buy the onsen essence, take it home to your country and put it in your bath. And we do that almost every bath. We have a big box of it in our house and they've taken the goodness or the minerals and they've put it in a powder form and you can put it in your bath and have your onsen in your own country, in your own home. I didn't know that. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, I'd never heard of that. That's really cool. I'll have to pick some up when I go to Kyushu. Yeah. There's actually there's a lot of places you can get it. There's one specific place where it's really the good stuff and it's so strong, you have to immediately wash your bath after using it. Otherwise, it will stay in your bath and it really smells this kind of onsen sulfur smell. <laughs> so when you come, I will take you there and we can pick up a bag. Awesome. Sounds great. All right, so if any of our listeners listening to this are interested in learning more and getting in touch with Kyushu Journeys, where could they do that? Probably if they want to see the kind of ways we spend our time traveling around, probably Facebook is the best. Our handle is Kyushu Journeys, one word. Kyushu is spelled K-Y-U-S-H-U. Kyushu Journeys, one word. Our Instagram is Kyushu Journeys, one word. Our website is Kyushu Journeys, one word, dot com, kyushujourneys.com. But Facebook, you will really, if you have a look, you will understand the kind of things we do. Luckily, as travel agents, part of our job is traveling around Kyushu. I mean, obviously, we can't do it now in lockdown, but normally once or twice a month, we take a road trip and go somewhere gorgeous and take photos. So Facebook is a good place to, to follow us on our travels. Great. I'll be sure to include that information in our show notes as well. So uh, listeners can check that out. Simon and Moo, thank you so much for being on the podcast. This was a lot of fun. Thank you very much for having us. Yeah, we enjoyed it. Well, that was really fun. Yeah, I think that went really well. Once we all started talking about Japan, it went good because we're all into that. Yeah, yeah. It's fun to be able to talk to other people that are just into that stuff. Yeah. Shared interest. I hope you all enjoyed that as mm -hmm. much as we enjoyed having the conversation ourselves. Yeah. You know, before talking to them, I never really got the benefit of a travel agency. Like, I've always planned my own trips and I didn't really see the point of travel agencies, but it sounds like they have so much in depth knowledge about their area. I mean, they were telling us about stuff that I, I didn't know about, you know, and I feel like you could do as much research as you wanted and they would still know about all these places that you wouldn't, you would never find on your own. Yeah. My mom was a travel agent for quite a while when I was a kid. Oh. And she always tells me to go to a travel agent or sometimes at least. Huh. But I've always been in my life such a budget traveler yeah. that like paying someone to help me plan my trip hasn't fit into it. Yeah. Although I'm at the point in life now where maybe I can do that next time. Yeah. I mean, I, I totally see the value in it now. And I think yeah. if I go back to Kyushu, I will probably use their services, you know? And I mean, they just seem like really cool people. I think it would be fun to hang out with them for a while. Yeah, I agree. And just for everyone's info, this is not a sponsored episode. We should point that out. Yep. We just happened to connect with Simon online 
and decided to do this because we all share a love of Japan. Yeah. And, you know, hopefully somebody out there listening to this got some value out of it and, you know, maybe can use their services. Sounds pretty cool to me. Anyone that ever is going to go to Kyushu, I think could get some value out of this episode. Totally. All right. Well, that's the end of the episode, I guess. Go check out their website. Go check out their Facebook and Instagram. I've been actually paying attention to their Instagram, and I'm so jealous that they get to spend all their time just like exploring these beautiful places around where they live. Yeah, they've got an incredible Instagram account. Just every day, just like really cool pictures popping up on there. Yeah, they go go to like these several hundred year old temples and stuff. And it's like, oh, we didn't see a single other person around, you know? <laughs> yeah. That's <laughs> so cool. Anyway, yeah, check them out. You can reach us at feedback at sightseeingjapanpodcast.com. Paul, what's our next episode? The next episode is on Kiyomizu Dera, a very popular, famous temple in Kyoto. Yes, very. And a very pretty place. Been there a couple times. Mm-hmm. You've also been there a couple times, huh? That's right. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for listening. See you next time. <laughs>